Hello and welcome to Down with the Patriarchy. I'm Ben Richards. And I'm Elia Jo. He's as white and male as they come. And she, well, she isn't. But together, we're hoping to learn about those marginalised composers we don't know so well. That's right. So then, are we on week eight? We are on week eight. It's a lot of weeks. That is many weeks. And we will continue to remind ourselves of how many weeks it is. Because honestly, this is the only way that I'm keeping track of kind of what week it is, what month it is, what day it is, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, actually, it's a very good point because eight weeks of this podcast, but I can't remember when it started. (laughs) It was sometime in January, but that could have been yesterday. That's such a good point. (laughs) Yeah, I just feel, well, the thing is, viewers, is Viewers. uh, Viewers, listeners, Ellie is up in Egham and I'm at home. But as of tomorrow, when you're hearing this, I'll be that'll be all changed and I'll be back up. And so for me at least it'll change. Like I'll I'll know what day it is then because life (laughs) my schedule will be different. And we'll I will be singing again, which is great news. We're gonna be singing, we're gonna be going to lectures. It's just it's back to normal. But don't worry, we're staying safe. We're having tests twice a week. Yeah. And to be fair, actually, I don't think I'm going to really be doing much in terms of going to lectures. I think performance is the only one. And yeah. I've, only got, I've only got two lectures a week anyway. So. Oh, master student life. Master's life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. Who are we talking about today? Well, I was on the phone to my darling grandmother. Shout out to my, my grandma, Jo Morton. She's fab. I mentioned that I had no idea who to talk about this week because there were just so many composers to choose from and I couldn't narrow down the list. And she said, have you heard of Ruth Gipps? And I was like, no, what course is she on? You know, what year is she in? What, what, how would I know her? And she said, no, she's a composer. So I did some research and sure enough, she is a composer. And she's a very good composer. She was BBC Composer of the Week last week, I think. Um, oh, right. So that's how my grandma found out about her. And she is, quite frankly, banging. So I'm going to try and not sound too biased. So maybe she's going to be our first down one of the week, you know? I don't want to sound <laughs> no. too positive too quick. That would be boring. So should I give you a bit of the down low on her life? You fire away, Ellie. Cool. Ruth Gipps was born in Bexhill-on-Sea, which is a little town in East Sussex, so down south in 1921, to Brian and Helena Gipps. I'm only saying it like that because I, I think it's it's got accents on it. So it's like <laughs> Elaine. Okay. Rather than Helena. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It will come as no surprise to absolutely anyone. She was a child prodigy. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, one of those. Yeah. Not fair, is it? No. So she performed her first composition at the age of eight, in one of loads of music festivals which she entered. She was winning competitions left, right and centre, but this particular one she played her own work. Now, a publishing house snapped it up. They heard it and they were like, oh, okay, she's got something here. So they bought it for a guinea and a half, and I have no idea how much that is worth, but something tells me that's pretty cheap. It's not a lot, I don't think. This is where I feel like a grandparent on hand... (laughs) <laughs> quite useful wouldn't it just to bring one in and here they are and then they'd come in and we'd go how much is a guinea and a half and then they'd say <laughs> that it was worth you know either a loaf of bread or four bottles of champagne and then we'd know 
So it's like one of those tests, isn't it, when they ask politicians how much is a loaf of bread? And they go, well, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> well, how much is a loaf of bread? What, like a pound? I don't I don't know. I don't I really buy bread. About a pound? I think it's about a pound. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We back are. We get distracted by these things. Yeah. Okay. So clearly she had talent. And it was no surprise that the Royal College of Music nabbed her at the age of 16. So yeah. in 1937, she started studying at the RCM, around the time that Mr Rafe Vaughan Williams was teaching. So for a period of time, she was taught by Mr Vaughan Williams. Very exciting. How long was she at the college? Well, she continued her studies in Durham. So right. I'm assuming just three years-ish. Because the thing is, is that 1937 Royal College of Music, I mean, that's London on the brink of the Blitz. Yes, it is. It is. And I didn't even check about the Second World War. I saw the words and just forgot to write it down. So <laughs> if I think of anything that is important to do with that period of time, I'll write it down. That is your reminder that this podcast is very carefully researched. Then. Very carefully researched. Well, it's so carefully researched that I got conflicting information from about four websites. So I'm going to be telling you a lot of interesting things. Anyway, so Vaughan Williams was a banging teacher for her and clearly had an enormous impact on her, which I will get onto a bit later. So she headed north to study more at Durham University, very prestigious. So she's she's collecting the best universities for music in the UK as she goes along. Mm. I don't know why she didn't head to Holloway, but okay. She met the man who would be her future husband, clarinetist Robert Baker, which I find very interesting because Durham University is famous for cultivating long and happy marriages. Is it? It is. Does it say that in the brochure? <laughs> it does. I went there and they say you will find your the love of your life here. And it's oh. interesting because one of my closest cool. friends from school wasn't very interested in boys during her time at school. She was very, very, very clever. But yeah. she went to Durham and on like her second day, she met a guy who she's now been with for four years. Oh. It's just mad. You just meet the love of your life there. Anyway. I, th- I, I, would, like to, I would like to contest that I would very much think that I would have a hard time falling into that rule. Like I, would push that, I would push that kind of general accepted story to its limits because I think I, 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 would, I would go to Durham with the express intent of coming out single just to prove them wrong, <laughs> just to just be really stubborn. Even if there was somebody that I really liked, I would be like, no, no. No, you cannot conform. No, I'm not conforming. Anyway. This says so much about you, Ben. Yeah, anyway, no. that's an insight into us. Oh, listeners, quick interlude. We are going to be doing some little episodes about us, which I think you might find kind of interesting because we've rambled on for so many weeks, but you don't really know who we are. So we're going to do a bit of a chat about who we are, what we do. Yeah. So do tune in. That will be a bonus episode sometime in the middle of this week. Woo! This week. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be, well, I mean, obviously we're going to pretty much know everything about each other anyway, but you won't. So therefore it will be exciting. Exactly. Let's get back to Miss Gipps, or should I say Dr. Ruth Gipps. Uh, At the age of 26, that was a very good segue. I'm very proud of that. At the age of 26, she became the youngest woman ever to get a music doctorate for her work, The Cat, which I cannot find a recording of, but I'm sure if you search hard enough, it is somewhere on the internet, but I just could not find it. 
Hi listeners, Future Ellie here, interrupting this podcast with breaking information that I can't possibly leave out. I was just looking for a recording of this piece, and although I couldn't find an actual recording, I did find out a fun fact about it. So you may have heard of Benjamin Britten's infamous Rejoice in the Lamb, and the choir of Royal Holloway did a fantastic performance of that, conducted by Ben Richards himself earlier this year. But in that piece, Benjamin Britten, not Richards, uses really vibrant and kind of wacky and ridiculous text called Jubilate Agno by Christopher Smart. So Smart wrote this whilst confined in what was then called a lunatic asylum. And whilst he was in this institution, the only company he had was his beloved cat, Geoffrey. So, of course, he mentions this cat in his poem, which is all about rejoicing in the Lamb, or the Lord. So... This is just an extract from the 74 lines which Smart dedicated to his beloved cat. So, For I will consider my cat, Geoffrey, for he is the servant of the living God, duly and daily serving him. For at the first glance of the glory of God in the east, he worships in his way. For this is done by wreathing his body seven times round with elegant quickness. Anyway, the poem is actually 1739 lines long. So those four lines are pretty much nothing in comparison to the rest of it. However, this is not about Britain, obviously, this is about Gibbs. And my little link is that the cantata she wrote for choir and orchestra called The Cat, for which she was awarded her doctorate, uses Christopher Smart's text all about his beloved cat in the final section of her piece. I thought that was really cool. So anyway, enough from me, as you were. Anyway, so obviously getting a doctorate and being the youngest woman ever to get one is pretty impressive. Around this time, when she was 26, her compositions were also getting a lot of attention. A lot of her music is for oboe or at least woodwind and piano, probably because I think she was performing and composing completely in parallel. She was composing to perform, if that makes sense. Yeah. So earlier on in her life, she suffered a hand slash shoulder injury. And I say slash because I've researched so many different places and they all say different things and I don't want to say one of them is wrong. So quite far away, your hand and your shoulder. They're not close. I might say a general arm injury. Yes. (laughs) Your arm hurts. (laughs) A general arm injury in 1933 when she was very young. So she couldn't perform the absolute best of her ability. So she really focused on composition and she loved music so much I think this is the kind of sad bit she loved it so much that she didn't care what she had to do to get performing and to get writing and playing she would do so many things for exposure and experience because she just wanted to do it she didn't care she she knew that she wouldn't be a famous oboist or famous pianist because of her general arm injury and she just decided that she was going to do it no matter what it was a very difficult time to be a woman as we know yeah and she really struggled to find work as a composer as a conductor even because nobody wanted a woman quite frankly which is really horrible but anyway she developed a really tough exterior she became really callous and didn't care what it took it was like her love of music that she used to have was just 
suddenly overshadowed by the fact that she wasn't allowed to love music. Yeah. So she became really tough. And a lot of male composers who were the gatekeepers found that incredibly off-putting. So yeah. they didn't like her fierce determination, I mean, but she still just tried to prove herself through her work. That's an interesting point, actually. And I think a general point there, you know, in terms of women coming into the industry, and I think it is, it's an issue, a very fine line that you have to tread, isn't it, in order to be accepted by your male colleagues, which is such a, you know, which is, which, which is really not something that you should have to think about, but is something you have to think about. And, you know, having a hard exterior, being a bit more short and a bit more direct, you're sort of told you have to do that. And yet it's something that, that people are put off by. Exactly. You can't win. You can't win. Oh, oh. you, you can't, can't win. win. <laughs> I'm so ready to get back to choir. Anyway, <laughs> um, despite this, she was going to prove herself through her work. She carried on doing things for free which was kind of important. They were like, I mean, if you're a woman and we don't have to pay you, then I suppose you can conduct, I suppose you can compose for us, you know? So she founded the London Repertoire Orchestra Mm. and she served as the conductor and MD, music director, for the City of Birmingham Choir, which is very close to my heart because I'm a Brummie girl. Mm. Anyway, she also worked at the faculty at Trinity College London, RCM, Kingston Polytechnic, and under her baton, the incredibly talented budding soloist Julian Lloyd Webber came along. Oh. I know. And much later in her life, she served as the chairwoman of the Composers Guild of Great Britain before returning to Sussex. So she lived at Tickeridge Castle, which sounds so nice, near Framfield until she died in 1999, the year I was born, aged 78. So she had suffered from cancer and a stroke and effectively that killed her. But she had a long life full of incredible things. So despite being told that she couldn't do anything, she did it bigly, you know? She did it bigly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, I'm on one today. It's fine. It's it's a Sunday morning and, you know, I don't think anybody's brain is supposed to be engaged, you know. The Lord would be disappointed if it was. (laughs) Anyway, so, shall we get on to some pieces? Why don't we get on to some pieces? What a brilliant idea. Fantastic. So... I'm just wondering before I natter on it myself. Yeah. Ben, did you get listening to anything by her? I had a little listen to the symphony number four. Okay, interesting. Because apparently she's most she's most proud of her orchestral works, is symphonic, particularly her symphonies. Yes. Um, and the symphony number four was particularly the. I think the first movement and the second movement sort of happen like I was. I had to check on my on my Apple Music, whether they whether the movement had changed because they kind of went from one to the other. But the first also movement, known as through composed. Through composed, that's the one. The first, <laughs> the first movement was very. Um, I was like, "What's it? What's this sound like? What's this sound like?" And because the beginning was really haunting, and then and then all of a sudden it went into kind of relentless, almost like a runaway train. And I was like, "What is this? What is this?" And I was like, "Oh, I know what this is. It's the finale to Shostakovich Five. That's yeah. what it reminded me of. Not that's what it is, but that's what it reminded yeah. me." Of. It was very good. I very much enjoyed it. I thought it was lovely. 
I think so too. And I have just written down Symphony Number no. Two. I didn't write down the whole thing because it's oh yeah, it's stupidly, in my opinion. Sorry, this is really horrible, but it's slightly sillily broken into eight different tracks on Spotify. Oh right, yeah. And it just my phone was on shuffle and it all became very difficult. I was like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. And then I realised what was happening. I, actually, I saw I saw a tweet the other day that said um, nothing is more chaotic than listening. To- to a bark passion on shuffle <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's so true when you're trying to you forget that your phone's on shuffle and you're listening to a new piece of music you go, hang on a minute what the hell is going on now i was just like you were doing so well this is an incredible piece of music what have you done that for yeah and anyway that was just a moment in time that i will not really have so I skipped over Symphony Number no. 2 because it just stressed me out far too much. But objectively, very nice piece of music. Yeah. So I'd quite like to start by telling you all about her song for orchestra. Ooh, and in, in capital letters, I've just written banging. Banging. It's, it's really short. It's only about five minutes long, I think. Yeah. And it starts, no surprises, with an oboe solo. Oh. So... And underneath, I've written, she played oboe. Like, that was some revelation. Anyway, so <laughs> these notes are horrendous. So imagine is what I've written next. Imagine Vaughan Williams and Lily Boulanger had a child. Uh, and that uh, child... Uh, what, what weird alternative music history is this? <laughs> <laughs> so this piece of music is their child. Right. There you go. It's slushy and melty and oozy, everything that Lily Boulanger has, but it's got all those pastoral qualities that Vaughan Williams writes so well. Mm. You hear it and you think of pastures, Sussex, I think Sussex because she's a very Sussex gal. Yeah. Um, Sussex Downs. Yep. No, they're not called the Sussex Downs. The South Downs. Oh, gosh. James and Christine will be so disappointed at that. The South Downs, and it's there's a rainbow, and it's also raining. That's what I imagine. It's it's just it's so much mishmash of kind of emotion, and it's just fantastic. And I really think she's got such a way of writing solo passages. So she she writes a gorgeous soaring horn solo. An amazing oboe solo, which opens it, obviously. And then later on, I'll get to the bass clarinet solo. I think it's a bass clarinet. I'm not very good at spotting woodwind, but there we go. And they all play this, they all play a variation of this gorgeous theme. So it kind of goes down and then up and then down with a little turn at the end. And it's really simple. That's it. But it's so... It's a. It feels like proper kind of light motif. Mm. It seems to represent a character that just keeps coming back and back and back, and I love it. So, she has written this really lovely pastoral bit, and then this big brass chorale leads into a very thin bass clarinet solo. Right. So it's they're kind of so polar opposite. Bass clarinets yeah. have a very meaty but also thin sound especially following an enormous brass probably quintet type thing 
but that it's funny you said about Shostakovich. Anyway, it picks up and launches into this very British kind of march. And again, it really felt like Shost 5 for me. Mm. It felt like, you know, there's in the first movement of Shostakovich 5, there's a bit where the piano goes bum, 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 bum. And then you've got the brass, which go bum, 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 bum. And sorry, it's one of my favourite pieces. And it really reminded me of that. You've got a really thin little solo plunging into a chaotic march. But it's not a march in a kind of conventional sense. There are seamless time signature shifts, which keep it constantly kind of displaced. And you never really know where the beat is. And I love that. As my lecturer, Tonya Co would say, she achieves complete rhythmic freedom. And I love it. And an oboe solo carries us to a little string moment right before the end and finishes in a really beautiful way you've had the chaos of maybe let's say a thunderstorm in the middle of the south downs and then a bit of light peeps through the clouds and it's just oh it's brilliant and it's so short that it's so easy to listen to as i've mentioned and as you will notice from this podcast i have no attention span whatsoever so it's perfect for me i love it and i think i think you should paint some of these descriptions because i'm not sure if people know uh, but Ellie is an artist. You can find her on Instagram. Um, <laughs> and she normally does portraiture, but um, por- <laughs> she normally does <laughs> portraiture. But I, the way you described it, I was, I feel like you should do that at some point. You know, okay. when, when, when you have, when you have not like, you know, you've got. That could be my plate. thing. I could make it as an artist who paints music. I've actually, I've actually, there's somebody on Twitter that has been painting quite well. They're quite sort of, impressionistic reactions to different pieces of music um but and i'm always like "Mm, that's nice but i don't really know what that has to do with the piece of music whereas i think with yours your description of it is very literal and i think that would translate quite well into a piece of artwork oh i would love to oh you've inspired me everyone catch patriarchy pod on instagram and you will see some of my art popping up all over the place to distract me from my degree even further yeah anyway So she has written a lot of orchestral works. She wrote five symphonies. I've written this down. I don't want to get it wrong. So she wrote five symphonies, seven concertos, and loads of chamber and choral works. Mm. And one of those chamber works is the Seashore Suite, which kind of acts as a sonata, I'd say. It's for oboe solo and piano solo. But the piano is never just accompaniment. It's always doing far more than that. Yeah. They're always playing together and intertwining. And I wouldn't call it a piece for solo oboe. I would call it more of a duet. Right. So it's broken into three movements. There's the seagull, sea anemone, and storm. So the seagull is full of... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing because it's just such a funny piece. The piano does all these big arpeggios for the kind of water flowing and then you've just got the oboe which pipes up like and 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 is a proper little seagull and it's brilliant and it's really short i think the this piece again is about six minutes long so they're all really little pieces then you've got sea anemone in the middle which is slow and mournful 
and I'm really sorry if this makes me sound like a horrible person, but James and I went to the Sea Life Centre last year and I I love animals and I love fish so much. I just find them fascinating. And, you know, they let us stroke a sea anemone. And, and we had to be really, really careful. They had loads and loads and loads of them on rotation so that they never got stroked twice because they know that that makes them sad. I, I But I just gave it a little tickle. And, oh, my gosh, Ben, it was so soft. So, hang on, sea anemones are averse to, <laughs> averse to affection. <laughs> I think so. It sounds like me. Yeah. If, 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 you, if you kind of stroke it too much, then it just... <laughs> If you, stroke it, you. if you stroke Ellie twice, she bites. I do. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we've learned so much about both of us this episode. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe we don't even need to do those. Get to know. <laughs> this is this is the episode where you get to know us. Um, <laughs> actually, were you saying about the symphony number two earlier? I was looking when I was on YouTube um, earlier. I noticed that the recording by the Seattle Symphony Orchestra, which was on YouTube, a video recording which was 2018, was the US premiere. I was like, wow, that's that's recent. That's, that's very, very recent. Yeah. It really is kind of being discovered, being, you know, created it is, and it's, used. I think personally, following being BBC's Composer of the Week, or maybe it's Classic FM, I don't want to, to neglect one of them, but I think that's definitely going to hopefully spearhead more popularity. Rather. Yeah. So, actually, um, she wrote a, a seascape. So she was clearly very inspired by the sea, having grown up in Sussex, and that's for woodwind a, a, a deck tet, I think. But then she wrote a Magnificat and Nunc Dimittis, which, as oh. cho- choral scholars, Ben and I, I think, would be quite interested in. Oh. So, however. I, I really don't want to be horrible and I will not name name them, but the record there is one recording available on oh, YouTube and oh, none available on Spotify. Oh, and it's, it's really bit... well produced, but it's it's quite hard to listen to. Is it a bit grim? <laughs> ben, Ben, we can't say that. It's oh. just it's just I'm not sure whether they're dissonances or whether they're just out of tune. Yeah. <laughs> but I would not ever say who the recording is by. I don't and... know. Thank, thank God I don't know who they are because at this point I would absolutely make Ellie's life in Ed post hell by telling you exactly who it is. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. I didn't even know she'd written one. But after right. we recorded this, the first thing I'm going to do is go to immediately find it out. <laughs> I think, I personally think given what a fantastic composer she is, that it would be brilliant. And I know she preferred writing for orchestras and I know she preferred how she wrote for orchestras. Yeah. But I think that it would be brilliant if performed by, I don't know, the Choir of Royal Holloway and um, Rupert Goff. (coughs) (coughs) Should we call Rupert mid-podcast and tell him we've got a new Mag and Nunk? Well, I don't know. I imagine Rupert's probably sort of got a hangover from his 50th birthday yesterday. So. Oh, yes. Happy birthday, Rupert. Happy birthday, Rupert. <laughs> so, anyway, yes. So I think the Mag and Nunk would be gorgeous if performed fantastically. Yeah. So I would love, love, love to be a part in kind of exposing her music. So hopefully we might be able to perform that over the next few years. Who knows? 
who knows? Well, we can give it a go. We will. So anyway, that's enough of me nattering on and chattering on. That's what I think. So it's judgment time. I mean, I don't want to be really boring, but I'm swiping right. Well, I'll swipe right. I really, really like her. I can I tell you really like her. She's, I'm I'm very, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. But I just, she's very, for me, she writes short, brilliant work. And I would just urge anyone to just take 15 minutes out of your life Go and listen to the song for orchestra, the seashore suite, and what else can I suggest? Seascape as well. Yeah. Seascape's a bit longer. Those are my suggestions. There you go. Absolutely, and, and and from what I've listened and what I've heard about her, absolutely, I think it's, it's interesting as well. I always find it interesting to hear this type of music coming out at this time, uh, similar to Mandolin Drink, in the way that. You know, I think we we often associate this era with sort of avant-garde boulets and and these kinds of composers, and, and actually it was quite refreshing to hear that the unstoppable force of music, broadly diatonic, is still very much prevalent. And I think both are important. It's good that it continues to exist through composers like uh, Gibbs. And I I completely agree. Yeah, she's often been described as late late romantic, yeah, as opposed to a twentieth century composer. Which I completely get, but I think it's still important to remember that there are elements that you could never put in any kind of romantic category that I think you'd you you pick up on when you listen to the seashore suite, for example, mm. which is just so ridiculously evocative. You know, when when we're taught music history, I think we're taught it in this in this sort of weird way where obviously the styles are generalised and it feels a bit like as if the 20th century is the first time that those styles start to diverge. But I imagine that it's probably not the case. Yes. But a, but the 20th century is probably the time more than any other in music history where music starts to diversify into so many different strands to the point where we have classical music and popular music and, and all the different genres that we have today are part of that century of ingenuity across so many different genres. And I think it's important that the Romantic era didn't stop with Mahler. Yes. It, it, it did carry on and it still persists to this day. And, I, you know, and there are definitely composers, certainly choral composers that write in that sort of style, broadly speaking, and, and certainly orchestral ones as well. And I think as long as they're bringing something new and they're not just parodying the old, I think it's perfectly, people people love it. I mean, there's a reason why Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto always is at the top of the Hall of Fame. And the last exactly. I think it's, it's not to be snuffed at. These pieces are popular for a reason. Exactly. I completely agree. I I think she's brilliant. And yeah. she's a firm swipe right in my books. Yeah. And I think everyone needs to go and give her a listen. She's so easy to listen to. Just do it, do it, do it. Yeah. Plenty of recordings out there. So go and do that. Exactly. Cool. That there we are. A very, apart from the whole fact checking situation in the middle, mm. which I'm sure listeners, you are all going to hear in our outtakes episode sometime yeah. in the future. That was a very easy episode. I just, I love talking about her. There we go. There we go. Cool. So thank you so much, everyone. Please remember to head to at Pod on Instagram. Give us yeah. a follow. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's worth mentioning every week, 
I, I draw the composer. So even if you, you don't care for the podcast, but you just like looking at drawings, then head to the, the Instagram. Yeah, it's a very pretty Instagram, actually. I hope so. I try. <laughs> On the Instagram, we will be putting loads of highlights in our stories as to what you can go and listen to and how. I'll be putting the Spotify links in. So, yeah, go and listen. Go and listen. And we will see you next week. Oh, wait, don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify. Don't forget to rate us five whole stars on Apple Music. We've got a few ratings now. So, yeah, that's all. That's I, yeah, no, but please, please do keep doing that. It, the old adage, if you like something, then, you know, tell people about it because it really makes our lives a lot easier. And we've got a small little viewership, but it's nice for it to grow. So, yeah, if you like us, then give us a share. And thank you to all of those who got in touch and been so kind and, and open and offered suggestions and offered to help and things. Thank you so much to all of you. It's, it's been good fun so far. It has. So thank you so much, guys. We will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye.